this opportunity today to be together. We thank you, God, for... Excuse me. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy in this nation. We thank you, God, for the blessings that you have bestowed upon America. And we are especially mindful today, Lord, of how fragile our freedom is and how how desperate the times in which we live are. We don't want to take for granted, Lord, this, this privilege of coming together without any fear to worship you in spirit and truth, to proclaim the truth of your word. I pray that you would continue to provide that, Lord, but I also pray that we would continue to take advantage of it and that it would become something very precious to us, Lord. I pray today that you would speak to us out of your word I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear what you desire to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to open them up with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 45. Jeremiah, chapter 45. Very short chapter today, and that's... We're just going to look at chapter 45. Last week, I think we looked at five long chapters. Today, we're just going to look at one short chapter. So you'll probably be done here in about five minutes. Jesus said, probably not, actually. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jeremiah ministered to his people during a time of really national disaster, a time that the nation was under siege. God had actually allowed and called for these nations to come and and bring judgment upon his people. It was something of the Lord's discipline. And there were not just just Jeremiah, but there were others who endured this same set of circumstances during this time. And one of the men that, that endured this time, his name was Baruch. And Baruch was actually an assistant to Jeremiah. He was his scribe. He actually penned out much of the prophecies and, and organized them in the book of Jeremiah. And there's a word here in chapter 45, a word of the Lord from Jeremiah to his assistant, Baruch. And uh, we can kind of identify with how he might have felt. Because, you know, we live in times uh, that are difficult. We're celebrating 9-11 today. or not, I shouldn't say celebrating, but certainly remembering 9-11. And we remember that, that national disaster and the way that we felt and the way our country was radically changed and affected. And it made us feel so vulnerable all of a sudden. You know, we had, as a nation, we'd never really, other than Pearl Harbor, we never really experienced any kind of attack upon our, our homeland, certainly not on our main soil. And to realize that we were vulnerable to these types of things, to realize that maybe some of the securities that we all felt we had and took for granted were not necessarily there forever, or were not necessarily as secure as we had hoped. And it made us realize that, you know what, we, we're no different than any other nation. 
we have to look to the Lord. We have to trust in God. Or the very blessings and the... And the, the this is what happened in Israel. And so here, this Baruch would, would go through this, and you're going to see his heart kind of despair. And, you know, not just 9-11, but I think of what's going on in our nation even more recently now with so much of a financial crisis. There's so much uh, financial trouble, many out of work, and we're going through a difficult season. And it can be very discouraging. It can be very almost overwhelming. Families are struggling. Marriages are struggling. We see what's going on just in the political realm of our country and the turning away from God. And for the Christian, it becomes almost a time of uh, discouragement. And you can imagine how Jeremiah must have felt in the midst of his nation and how Baruch also must have felt. So I want to look at this today, and I, I want you to recognize that God is going to encourage Baruch, but he's going to encourage him in a way that really kind of refocuses him on eternal things. That's why I read this passage before we get started. Laying up treasures not on earth, but in heaven. I want to challenge you today to be eternally minded and keep an eternal perspective. If all we have and all we focus on and all our treasure is fixed on the here, the now, and, and the very immediate things that we can touch and feel, that's going to be a very uh, unreliable foundation. It's going to be a very... Uh, up and down type of experience even in your Christian walk you're going to have to put your heart into eternal things because that's where God has made his promises look with me here in the first three verses and we see uh, this Baruch and his discouraged heart the word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch the son of Neriah when he had written these words in a book at the instruction of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch, you said, Woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. What we see here is Baruch's complaint, really, or what he is saying. A word comes to him. Baruch, here's the word from the Lord. God has heard your cry. You have said, Woe is me, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. We see that he has a very discouraged heart, but notice a few things that, that he is now speaking, that these things that are coming out of his heart. First he says, Woe is me. There's a national crisis going on. The nation is being judged for its sins against God. God is having to discipline his people, but Baruch's focus is, woe is me. This is not working out good for me. And I want to challenge you today because I, I do believe that much of our discouragement, much of our despair and feelings of even depression come from selfish motives. You say, well, thanks, Pastor. That's just what I wanted to hear. I'm so I'm discouraged coming here looking for encouragement, and all you have to tell me is how selfish I am. How great that makes me feel. Add that on to my list of problems. But you're going to have to be honest, and especially for the Christian, those of you that have put your faith in Jesus Christ, and those of you that have put your trust in the Word of God, God has given you everything that you need to live both godly and fruitful 
in this life. God has not shortchanged you. God has not left things undone for you. If you are discouraged, and there are seasons, all of us go through seasons of discouragement. Crisis comes, we lose family members, tragedies happen, things happen, accidents happen, sickness comes. There are. Re- I'm not saying that we don't have struggle. What I'm saying is that even in the midst of that struggle, you cannot let those things overwhelm you to a point of despair. God has called you to something else. But notice Baruch, woe is me. I'm not doing well. Things are not going well for me. Things are not working out the way I had planned. Who knows what Baruch had planned. He was a, he's actually had some relatives that were high up in the society. Maybe he had a plan for his life that was quite glamorous there in the nation. He might have been somebody. You know, I was watching that movie, that old movie, remember, uh, on the waterfront. That movie and that Marlon Brando. I could have been a contender, you know. I could have been somebody, you know. And and that's kind of what Baruch, you know, I could have been somebody in the nation of Jerusalem, in the nation of Judah, had not all of this calamity come. I had a future. I had, you know, I had I was going places. And then all of this has come to pass and things have not gone well. I had it all planned out. Maybe you've got plans that have not turned out. Maybe you had a Maybe you had a career path that you were on, you know, going for. And all of a sudden, the economy has completely derailed your plans or those things that you were aspiring to. Maybe you had something good going, even as a career, as a job, or, you know, things were going well, but then something happened in your life or in the country or in your personal circumstances, and something has completely derailed you, and the focus now is all on what I don't have and what I didn't get. And what didn't happen, woe, woe is me. You remember Jonah? Jonah was called and asked to preach to Nineveh. You remember the story. He didn't want to do that. He didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't, have, he didn't want to see them have anything good from God. So he actually ran away from the Lord. You remember he ended up in the belly of the whale. God brought him back to Nineveh. He went and he faithfully preached to Nineveh. And sure enough, Nineveh, they repented and God spared them as a, as a people. And oh, Jonah was so upset about that. This is exactly what I said was going to happen, Lord. I knew you were going to be merciful to them. That's why I didn't want to come. That's exactly what I was afraid of. And he sat there and he complained and murmured against the Lord. He was so disappointed. And, uh, you know, then God allowed him, God raised up a plant. He was in the desert there and complaining, and this plant provided shade for him. You remember the story. And then God sent a worm that kind of uh, killed the plant. And the next day, an east wind blew, and he was sweltering in the heat. And all of a sudden, he just wanted to die. Just kill me. This is so miserable. I can't, I'm out here in this heat. Things haven't worked out. And, And God said, you know, it's amazing. You were so, you had such pity on this plant, which you did nothing to make, or you had nothing to do with, but you don't care about a whole people that I'm trying to save and a nation that I'm trying to show mercy. Why? What's the difference? Why, why were you so concerned about this plant? Because of his personal gain, because it was providing shade for me. Who cares about them? It's really about me. And this self-centered and selfish feeling that comes into the heart 
when we begin to say, Woe is me. Elijah, you remember him, the prophet, with the victory that he had on Mount Carmel when he defeated all the false prophets of Baal. But then afterwards, Jessica, the king's wife, or excuse me, Jezebel, the king's wife. I have a daughter named Jessica. She's not here right now. Jezebel, the king's wife, threatened to kill Elijah, remember? And he ran off and hid in a cave. Hid in a cave near Mount Sinai. Maybe that cave that, that they discovered on that video that we saw on Wednesday night. But there he was, hiding in the cave, feeling very sorry for himself. And God comes to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing? Why are you here, hiding out in this cave? You're a prophet of God. I've sent you to the nation to speak. I've given you great victory. Why are you here? And he says, oh, I've been very zealous. And now I'm all alone. They seek to kill me. I've been zealous. In other words, Lord, I've, been, I've done the work of the ministry. I was faithful. I did everything that I could. And yet now they still don't like me. They want to kill me. And I'm the only one left. There's nobody in the whole nation that even has any desire for the Lord. My ministry has failed. I obeyed you and it's produced nothing but misery upon my life. A very, again... Something of a self-centered focus. Never mind how God had used him. Never mind what fruit God had borne through his life. It just wasn't working out well for him. Discouragement often comes as a result of an over-focus on ourselves. Even in ministry, it can happen. I can remember when I first started leading worship. I, I wasn't used to playing and singing in front of people. And I felt like I was just, you know, boom, put up here. Okay, you're going to lead worship now. Very nervous, very very intimidated by the whole process. And I would play and lead the worship, play my guitar, and I would invariably make mistakes through the somewhere through the worship service. I mean, not blatant, glaring type of mistakes, but enough to where I was, I knew I was making a mistake. The congregation didn't seem to notice. I'd play a wrong chord or I'd miss my part or something would happen. The congregation never even noticed. They just continued to worship. But I would be so distraught after the service. Oh, I played that chord. I look like a bumbling fool up there. There's, I'm sure there's some guitar players out there that can see what I'm doing and they know what a doof. What's he doing up there leading worship? I mean, I would go, I would leave the service just feeling miserable about myself because I knew that I had kind of bungled it. Not that I wasn't prepared or rehearsing and practicing, but then, you know, you get nervous and and you trip up. And I remember the Lord had to kind of rebuke me. He said, you know, is, is this worship about the people worshiping me or about the people appreciating your musical ability? I said, well... I guess it's really about you, Well, the people, you know, the people seem to be worshiping me, so why don't you just worship me too? And quit worrying about all of this, you know, selfish, you know, worried about how I was, you know, how it was, how I was appearing. Selfishness, it's, it's built up even, even when sometimes when we do things for the Lord, we can be overly self-conscious and thinking that somehow, you know, we want to look good and we want things to go well for us. My image, my plans, my ministry. Well, this is something that's going on in Baruch's heart. We're going to, we know this because we're going to see in a moment here how the Lord corrects him. 
So if you're here discouraged today, check your heart. Maybe, maybe it's because of some just your own selfish ambition and desires that are being frustrated. And maybe that's just not something that God has. Maybe God's not on your agenda. And that can be discouraging. Notice what he says. He goes on there. He says, Woe is me, verse 3, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. Now that's the next thing that happens. First we get discouraged because our focus is on ourselves and then the next thing that comes out of our mouth, well, it's the Lord's fault. The Lord is the one that's doing this to me. Lord, you're the one that's causing this. You're the one that's allowing this. And we're discouraged. Things aren't going as we'd wanted. And so naturally, the logical place to lay the blame is on the one who controls everything, right? I mean, it's got to be his fault. He's allowing this trouble. He's, a, he's the one causing things not to work out. And so Baruch, the Lord has added, blaming the Lord. He caused it. He allowed it. He's the one that doesn't care about me. He's the one that's not helping me. He added grief to my sorrow. Things got worse. You ever had that come up out of your own heart? Things You had a problem. You had a crisis. You prayed. Nothing happened. You prayed some more. Things got worse. You, you, you prayed a little more, and then things really got worse. And then you just, you knew it was the Lord's fault. You knew that, you know what, prayer wasn't working. My wife and I have a joke. Sometimes when we pray things get worse. So we have a kind of a joke between us. Hey, we need to pray about that. Oh, are you sure you want to pray about that? Because <laughs> you know what happens when we pray. Things get worse. Sometimes they do, and sometimes it seems that way. And the natural inclination of the heart is to put the blame upon the Lord, murmuring and complaining about our lives. Be careful. When you complain about your circumstance, you really are complaining against the Lord. Some of us are a little more careful. We, don't, we won't, like Baruch, we won't say, well, it's the Lord's fault. But in our heart, we kind of secretly believe that it is. And we're complaining. And in our murmuring and in our complaining, we really are complaining about the Lord's care over our lives. Because the, the Bible says that, that God is in charge of our life. The Bible says that He will not allow any temptation to come to you that... You know, without providing a way of escape. He won't allow you to go through something that you're not able to endure. The Bible says that He is watching over every step. The Bible says that He knows the number of hairs upon your head. The Bible says that He has prepared good works before the foundation of the world, that you should walk in them. The psalmist said, my, Before my days were one, Lord, You knew the number of them, and they're all in Your hand. So when you begin to complain and murmur about your life, about your circumstance, about your situation, you are either directly or indirectly, you are murmuring and complaining against the God who has given you this life. The God who is watching over this life. Now that does not mean that everything will go the way you want it to go. And therein lies the problem. We imagine that somehow God is obligated to make things go the way we want. That somehow he, he should be doing what I desire Him to do. And when He doesn't, I'm going to pout about it. I'm going to complain about it. I'm going to murmur about it. 
And I'm going to act like, you know, all, woe is me. The Lord has added sorrow to my grief. God is not being fair to me. He goes on, Baruch, and he says, I fainted. And he got so overwhelmed, he got so bad. There in verse 3, I fainted in my sign, and I find no rest. Almost like a giving up, huh? You can hear it in his voice there. I, I fainted. I, I, I quit. I've given up. There is no rest. There is no hope. This is just my lot. I'm just called to a life of misery and disappointment and frustration. This is it. Nothing I can do about it. I just have to endure the misery. And we settle into this attitude of despair and discouragement and disappointment. My life just didn't turn out. It just didn't work out the way I wanted. It didn't work out the way I hoped. I have to tell you something. I don't know anybody whose life has worked out just the way they wanted Life doesn't work that way. You see, life is broken because sin is in our lives. God has not promised heaven on earth. He has promised heaven beyond earth. And that in this world you will have tribulation, Jesus said. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Well, I believe the part about, you know, we're going to have tribulation, but it's hard for me to be of good cheer, isn't it? We get discouraged. And I'm telling you, we, we, I pray with many of you, and I don't want to discourage you from coming for prayer. Prayer is the right answer. In everything, we turn our hearts to prayer. But in some cases, it seems that there is just a, this perpetual despair in the heart of believers. And they just never really are feeling fulfilled in their life. And that's not the Christian calling. That's not what God has called us to. And if we look at some of our examples, even in the New Testament, we find men who lived under great difficulty and circumstance and yet found a way to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. I need to dial into some of that. Something I'm having a disconnect. If my life is just a constant discouragement and despair, and God has called me to a life of peace and joy and hope and blessing, something is going on. I'm, I believe that we're, we're on to something of it here. Number one, selfishness. Number two, blaming the Lord. Number three, I faint. I give up. Nothing helps. I'm just going to be determined to be miserable. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that what you're experiencing? Have you experienced rest for your soul? Have you experienced that the yoke of the Lord and His burden is easy and light? Or are, do you feel as though you're, you're, you're breaking, you're fainting under the stress of it? Something is, something is wrong in, in either your relationship with Him or your, assume, your presumption of what He should be doing. We're going to see some answer here, and I believe that we see it here in the final verses of this chapter. Read with me verses 4 through 5. It seems that the word of the Lord comes to Baruch in this time, a, a word in season. Thus you shall say to him, 
We've heard what Baruch is saying. Now here's what God wants to say. Behold, what I have built I will break down. What I have planted I will pluck up. That is, this whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. For behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord. But I will give you your life. I will give your life to you as a prize in all places, wherever you go. It seems the first thing God needs to say to Baruch really is a word of rebuke. Behold, behold, listen, Baruch. I'm doing something. I built this nation, and now I'm breaking it down. I planted this people, and now I am plucking them up. You are in despair because things are not going the way you wanted. Things are not happening as, as you had hoped. But I'm the one that is doing this. Does not the potter have the right to do what he desires with the clay? Well, this isn't working out. This economy's not turning around. Things aren't going well nationally. I don't understand my, my job, my situation, my circumstance. And God would say, listen, I'm the one that, that both raises up and sets down. Look to me. Don't look to your circumstance. Understand that I'm working in the nation. I'm working in the world. I'm working in your life. Baruch, I'm the one that's in charge here. Do you seek great things for yourself? Have you gotten caught up in your own, your own vision for yourself, your own plans for your life? Isn't that what's really frustrating you? That I'm not providing and doing for you those things that you imagined I should be doing for you? I'm doing a work of discipline in a nation. I'm trying to preserve a line. If I, don't, if I let this nation continue to go unchecked, we will lose the, the messianic lineage to, a, to idolatry. This people will go off into pagan worship and we will lose the people that I have raised up for myself. The Bible says that if, if you withhold discipline from a child, you actually hate the child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. God has to discipline his children, just as we do. If you never discipline your child, do you love the child? Does that produce good things in the life of a child? A child has to know boundaries. A child has to be corrected. A nation has to be disciplined. And here's Baruch. Woe is me. It's not going well. And I understand, you can understand the despair. To see this would have been very discouraging. But God is now trying to remind him, listen, some of these things are necessary and I am doing these things. And you not, you, your, your main worry is that you have been seeking great things for yourself. Do not seek them. You should not be seeking things for yourself, but rather you should be seeking the things of God. Seek his kingdom. Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What are the, all these things? What I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, where I'm going to live. Seek first God's kingdom and let God take care of these other things. Seek His glory. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things to put to shame the, uh, uh, the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in His presence. Seek God's glory in your life. Don't seek great things for yourself. Seek God to be great 
in your life and through your life. Consider His kingdom, His purposes, those things that are on His mind. Quit seeking things for yourself and start seeking the things of God and see if your, see if your disposition doesn't change. See if your despair doesn't, doesn't kind of find a new, fresh look on life, a new take on what's going on in your life. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, Paul said, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Baruch is having to be rebuked here because his heart is seeking great things for himself. Baruch, your frustration is selfish, self-centered, and it's because you had a plan for your life that's different than the plan that I had. I called you to be the, the faithful scribe of Jeremiah. And by the way, he was. And that's why God is now encouraging him. Be faithful in what I've given you to do. Seek his kingdom, seek his glory, and seek to be faithful. Listen, seek to be faithful in the little things. Oh, I want to do great things for God. Don't seek to do great things for God. Seek to be faithful to God. Seek to be faithful in whatever God would have you to do. You know, we were at the Harvest Crusade last night, Dodger Stadium. I've, I've been to a number of Harvest Crusades. I have to say personally, this, this was the, the best one I've ever been to. Something about the first time in Dodger Stadium, I think, had kind of a, a significance to it. All the Harvest Crusades in Southern California have been down at Anaheim Stadium. They, they did those there also, but this year, the first time in Dodger Stadium. And the response to the gospel when Pastor Lori gave the invitation to come down on the field, it was overwhelming. The fire marshal had to stop people from coming onto the field. The field was full. The entire outfield was shoulder to shoulder. Thousands of people responding to the gospel. And it was, it was just almost overwhelming. Just and they, had, they ran out of Bibles. People standing in the aisles, they were trying to get Bibles up to those that couldn't get to the field. And it was the response overwhelmed them. Just an incredible harvest. I don't know if the 9-11, uh, you know, mindset maybe brought people to a sensitivity. I don't know that it was maybe the first time in Dodger Stadium and there was just such a hunger and a need there for the Word of God. But uh, Greg Roy said, this has never happened. In all the Harvest Crusades we've ever conducted, we have never seen this. History was made last night. And I thought, you know, what a, what a great work God had done. And yet, knowing, you know, the story of Calvary Chapel, knowing the story, the personal story of Greg Roy, great things started with just being faithful in little things just being faithful in what God had given, gives you to do in the small. Let God worry about the great things. Let God worry about the, the future and what, what's going to come of these things. I, I like a quote from Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to China. He said, A little thing is just a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a great thing. Seek to be faithful with what God has you doing. Can you be content? Is it enough for you to live the life that God has called you to? Is it enough for you just to be faithful 
with those things that He has assigned to your life? Can you give up your own hopes, your own vision, your own dreams, your own aspirations and plans and schemes and great things to just be faithful with what God, what God can do with one faithful man or woman is a great thing. Many, many biblical examples. We don't have time to look at them. But God is calling you not to greatness, but to faithfulness. That the glory would be of Him and not of you. He says also there in that word to Baruch, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord. God is ultimately going to judge the world. And I think this speaks again to where I started this morning, that kind of analyzing where is your treasure? God is telling Baruch, obviously something in his heart was, was too attached to his national pride, his, his worldly opportunity. He had, had, was planning great things for himself. He, had, he was somehow too connected to this world. And God is saying, don't do that, Baruch. I'm bringing adversity on all flesh. Ultimately, I'm going to judge all the world. And if you get all of your treasure in what's happening here and now, you're going to be very disappointed. And I, I would share this with you today also. You know, we, we are living in troubling times. And I know many of you are experiencing that even at a personal level. It's affecting your life. And we're seeing so many things happen in the, in the earth today. I, I saw on the news that the Israeli embassy was completely ransacked in Egypt there in Cairo. Now that there's disorder there, they've completely, uh, they, were, they took the building over, beat many of the people in the, in the embassy. The delegates had to flee. They were, had to be lifted out by military uh, airlift to safety. Nations rising up now against Israel. Turkey is planning a, a naval escorted flotilla to bring so-called aid into Gaza. I, I don't want to get off on these things. I just want to say that there are, even geopolitically, things that are happening that we know are prophesied of the end times. There's a, pro, a prophecy conference coming up, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I believe it's next week. In fact, I wanted to mention it to you. I think I have it even here in my notes. September 16th and 17th, and the, and the conference is entitled The Coming Confederacy, and it speaks of these nations that have been prophesied to gather against Israel. We're seeing these things happen in our daily news, our news uh, papers and on the web. These things are on the newscasts. So we're living in these times, and, you know, if you're not, if your treasure is here and now, and, and, and you are so focused on what you, you know, what you have and, and what's going to happen, you're going to be shaken. And I believe that that's what God is saying to Baruch. Baruch, listen, I'm, I'm going to bring adversity. I'm going to... The world is living in enmity with God. God has an ultimate destiny with mankind. Those that reject His salvation, those that refuse His mercy. Don't love the world or the things of the world. You love God. You put your hope in Him. Put your faith in Him. Or you are going to be very discouraged. You are going to be depressed. You are going to be overwhelmed. If your confidence is in the here, the now, the, the circumstance, the, the things that I wanted and hoped and planned versus what God 
is ultimately doing. And he's trying to call Baruch out. Listen, I'm going to bring adversity on all flesh. Peter told us this in 2 Peter 3.11. He says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, speaking of the earth, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Peter said, Listen, the earth is going to be destroyed. How should you be living? Clinging to it? Or recognizing, looking to your redemption, looking to what God has planned eternally. He goes on and he says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. God tarries because He wants to continue to extend mercy. And he goes on in 2 Peter 3.17, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Baruch, you're planning, you've planned great things for yourself. You've got yourself all wrapped up in the world. Don't do that. I'm, going to, I'm, I'm judging this nation, and, and ultimately I'm going to judge all flesh. Don't put your hope in this life. You look to God and His promises and His Word. He goes on and gives Baruch that promise there in verse 5. I, I will give your life to you as a prize in all places wherever you go. And that's ultimately what God has promised us as well, eternal life. I will bring you through, Baruch. All of these things are going on around you, but you're going to come out of it. You're going to survive it. Wherever you go, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to offer your life as a prize to you, a promise of life. What about to the Christian today? 1 John 5.11, and this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this is life in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Those These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That's the promise and the hope for the Christian, eternal life. If you can get your heart off of this life and focused on eternal life, I'm telling you, your heart attitude is going to change while you live this life. You begin to see this life in a different perspective. It really is fleeting. It really is temporary. And I'm called to be faithful in this life, but I'm ultimately called to eternal life. And that can affect every part of your life. It affects how we relate in in the workplace. It affects how we relate, relate husbands and wives one to another. It affects how we raise our children and the things that we sow into the hearts of our children. We're living for it with an eternal perspective. And that can bring a great joy and a great peace. And peace that passes understanding, no matter the shaking and the, the trial that go around. We're, we're anchored in a hope that God has given to us. This hope of eternal life. Jesus made these promises to his disciples. You remember these verses. You don't need to turn. But in John 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Listen, 
In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Let not your heart be troubled, he said. Why? Because everything's going to work out just the way you want here on this life. Everything's going to, I'm going to just do everything the way you had hoped and the way you planned. And oh, don't worry, you're just going to have everything you want. Is that what he said? Is that the encouragement that he offers his disciples? Let not your heart be troubled because, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. There is a mansion awaiting those who have put their faith in Christ. God has something better than this life, and it's eternal. Thank God it doesn't wear out. This life is wearing out, and it will wear out. But God has promised something better. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. This is following those passages I just read. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God has given you promises to give peace, to give encouragement, to help you through your times of discouragement and despair. I'm not saying that there won't be times where you're overwhelmed, where you need prayer, where you need just to wait on the Lord and find Him in your personal devotion, but I'm saying you should not live perpetually in despair. God has not called us to that. God's promises... How can, how can you live with that sense of cloud and gloom knowing what God has accomplished for you and promised you? You see, if you don't believe those promises, well, then all you have is, is what you have now. But if you really begin to trust in the Word of God and know that these things are true, it can actually transform your life in the here and now. You know, I was blessed again last night by the crusade, and we'll close here today. I think many of you know uh, Pastor Greg's testimony. He shared it last night at the crusade, how, how he lost his son in an automobile accident and how it was one of the most devastating things that had ever happened in his life. But he was also able to, to, to declare to us that for himself, for his wife, and for the wife of his deceased son, his brother, God had brought them through. And God had given them hope. And he said, this is my hope. I'm going to see my son again. He's gone to be with the Lord. He's in heaven. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. And I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Do I miss him? Yes. Am I over it? I'll never be over it. But I have this hope. And, and I can declare it to you today. That God has eternal things in mind. And this is what I believe God is trying to sow into the heart of Baruch. Baruch, listen, quit complaining. Quit the woe is me. Quit the blaming God for your despair. Oh, you know, some of you, like I said, you, you, you don't come right out and say it, but boy, you're thinking it. Why isn't God fixing this? Why hasn't this changed? Why are things bad? Listen, things, things aren't that bad. You know Why? Because eternally, eternity is still ahead of you. And what's the worst thing that could happen to you? I guess you could live a difficult life and die. 
and then live eternally in the presence of the Lord. Mansion in the sky, blessed for all eternity. I guess that's the worst thing that could happen. The best thing that could happen is that you begin to rejoice in those promises today and begin to live with that hope in your heart and a little bounce in your step, O Christian. A little joy, a little a little gladness in your heart. You say, how can we do that? This is a time of mourning, you know, 9-11. We need to be sad. Listen, I, I am sad for the loss, but I... I'm looking at things from a different perspective, not just an event that happened in this nation, which is just a few hundred years old. I'm looking at a God who's made promises for thousands of years and promises that are going to be lasting for eternity. My hope's not in the the United States of America. How about you? Thank God for this nation, and God bless this nation. God be merciful to this nation, but God, do what you must to save the most, and Lord, help my life to be what it needs to be. Help me to be faithful with those things you've called me to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises today. This little chapter tucked here in in Jeremiah, pretty obscure, almost unnoticed. We could have just blazed over it, Lord, and I could have just made comment on it. And really very little seemingly to do with the whole message of Jeremiah. And yet, Lord, I think it has a lot to say to our hearts today. Because we tend to be so self-focused and so self-oriented that we are perpetually frustrated, discouraged, depressed, overwhelmed, complaining, disappointed. And we tend to blame you, Lord. I confess, I've done that, God. Things don't happen, and I go into a little spiritual pout. Okay, Lord, if that's the way you want to be. Lord, I pray that you would correct my heart. I pray that you would correct the heart of others here today. Lord, on this occasion, this 9-11, we do pray. We pray for our nation. I pray that you would turn the heart of this people back to you. I pray that nationally, God, there would be a call to prayer. I ask that you would extend mercy, Lord, and continue to be gracious to us as a nation. That we would continue to enjoy the freedoms of religion and faith that we enjoy in you. That we would continue to prosper as a people. That we might send out missionaries. That we might be a a resource for the gospel across the globe. Not so we can just be fat and happy, Lord, in our own prosperity. But so that we can live for you, God. Help us to be eternally minded, kingdom minded, looking for your glory. And help us to be faithful in those things that you've set before us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Now, as your heads are bowed, I do want to give an opportunity, as, as I always do. I always want to give opportunity if there's someone here that needs to respond to the Lord. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord. You've never confessed your sin to him. And you want to come to Jesus today. Have Him forgive you of your sins and get your life right with Him. I'd love to pray for you. Or maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord. You need to acknowledge, number one, that you are a sinner. Number two, that Jesus died to save you and died on a cross to forgive you. And I'd love to pray for you. If you need to come to Him for the first time or you need to rededicate, recommit yourself to Him, 
Maybe you're someone here that has been blaming God. Things haven't gone well. You're in a struggle. You're in a difficulty. And you're blaming, and, and you're, you're far from God today because subconsciously, or maybe even consciously, you're blaming God. It's His fault. He's added sorrow to your grief, grief to your sorrow. And the Lord has spoken to your heart today, and He's reminded you listen, I'm not the problem, I'm your solution. I love you. I've made promises to help you get through these difficult trials. You're going to have trials. But I'm going to bring you through, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to give you eternal life. And maybe God has touched your heart today, and you need to come back to Him. So if you're here this morning, and you need to come to the Lord for the first time, or you need to rededicate your life to Him, would you raise your hand wherever you're seated, and I'll pray for you. Bless you. Anyone else here today? You need prayer. Father, we thank you for this heart that is sensitive to you, Lord, and wanting to dedicate themselves to you. I pray, God, that you would forgive. I pray that you would cleanse. I pray, O oh Lord, that there would just be an assurance of your love and your mercy upon their life, and that you would help them, Lord, and bless them, encourage them today. And I do pray, Lord, for the heart today that is discouraged, but the encouragement, Lord, is sometimes it's, it's in changing, allowing you to renew our mind. And so the hearts today, God, that are, that are wrestling with despair, that you would speak to them, God, not, not to look for every circumstance to work out the way they want, but rather to trust in a loving, faithful God that will bring them through and bring them on and bring them home. We ask these things in Jesus' name.